0: Uh, I'm here today with Joe Valley. Joe uh, Valley is a uh, a serial entrepreneur. It looks like after building and buying or selling a half dozen of his own companies, he helped create Quiet Light Brokerage, one of the leading uh, online-focused M&A advisory firms in the world. Now, after facilitating over a half billion in exits, Joe has written a best-selling book, The Exitpreneur's Playbook, to help online businesses owners get the maximum value and the best deal structure when they seek to uh, their own business. Uh, sorry. <laughs> when they seek their own incredible exit. So uh, I um, thank you, Joe. Sorry. I, I fumbled there. I've been doing that a little bit lately. So it, now you'll know it's live organic raw uncut. And uh, thank you for being on my show, man.
1: No, thanks for having me run. That's a mouthful. Look, every time somebody says entrepreneur for the very first time, they stumble over it. It's a funny story. You know, when I was, uh, writing the book and in the process of coming up with a title, I reached out to a dozen friends and influencers in the e-commerce world. And I said, hey, I've got two titles for the book. I've got the, I've got, originally it was just Exitpreneur and the other title was Incredible Exits. 90% of those folks at incredible exits all day long, Joe. It just flows from the tongue. It just makes total sense. Of course, like an idiot, I chose the other one and added the playbook to it. Because it is really a playbook for both people that are selling their online business and uh, acquisition entrepreneurs that want to buy one if they want to see the other team's playbook.
0: That's awesome. So one of the places I like to start is for our audience to get to know who you are and what you're up to. So can you tell us kind of how did you get started from uh whatever avenue you came up through the the ranks here you know buying and selling your own businesses up until writing the book in it and now it sounds like you're a founder of a of a, a successful brokerage
1: yeah i'm I'm an entrepreneur first and foremost i've been fully self employed since nineteen ninety seven but started you know dabbling in that all the way back to my childhood and even through college, I started a, a restaurant delivery business called the wrong number i was uh, imbibing in something when I created the name, Ron. Let me just put it that way. Um I, I tell my kids I was an original DoorDasher. Uh that company uh s- survived six months and then I went to work for another company that eventually was bought by uh, Grubhub. So I know it's not DoorDash, but uh a Grubhubber sounds so much worse than DoorDasher. Um <laughs> but in my in my adult life, um I became fully self-employed, hundred percent self-employed in nineteen ninety seven. And um I resigned from my previous company, a company called Talk America that was a direct response marketing company, probably just before I would have gotten fired, to be honest with you. But that's the life of an entrepreneur, right? You can only get so far before you speak up too much and have other ideas and, and the boss wants to kick you out the door. I make a horrible employee. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was interviewed the other day by somebody who was a career waitress and turned entrepreneur, and I'm like, good for you, man. That's a hard job. I got fired from every waiting job I ever had, uh, sometimes intentionally, though. Um, but I became fully self-employed in 1997. My, my goal was to make uh, $50,000 in 1998 because I'd made about that much in '97, And I, I 10 times that goal and thought, full-time entrepreneurship is pretty damn good. Now, when I started that company, Company called JVI Media, media buying agency. I worked full time in another job that I took at a call center while running my media buying agency full time as well. So I was working, you know, eighty to hundred hours a week until I could just, you know, just focus on the business. Um, that led to the first product launch in 1998, where I owned a, a brand essentially, and I did it on radio and eventually television. And yes, I had a website that I built for 50 bucks, but it wasn't really a website business. It wasn't a web-based business. We just had trickle sales on it. Uh, That ran its course, as many direct response marketing products do back in the day, radio and television. And then I launched another one in 2002. And that one I took 100% online in 2005. I did radio, I did television, but I took it 100% online in 2005. Got rid of all the pain points in my life because I'd promoted myself to my level of incompetence, and that's managing lots of people. I let them all go, except for one person, and brought my office into my home and had that person come to my home every day. And I built that online business up from 2005 through the best of and the worst of the economy. Came out the other end in 2010. Just tired, Ron worn out, tired, emotionally worn down. The business was doing well. It survived the downturn in the economy. was coming back. But I woke up one day and said, I, I got to sell this thing. And it never occurred to me to build a business to sell until that day, which is just idiotic because the agency that I built and launched in 1997 at one time was doing more than a million dollars in discretionary earnings. And I didn't think it was sellable. It was Joe Valley's business. You know, I had lots of staff. I was replaceable, but I had such an ego I didn't think I was. So I eventually just let that die on the vine and fade away. So anyway, I, I I reached out in early 2010 when I decided to sell my business to any online brokers that I could find, and there were three at the time. Two were kind of reaching through their phone to get their hooks into me for a commission, and it felt pretty awful. And the third. Gave me some great advice after a second phone call with him. And he, he reviewed my P&Ls. We went through the adback schedule. He educated me, taught me things. And then he said, you know what, Joe? If you wait another six months, you're going to make another hundred grand easily. Because the, the numbers are coming back up after the, the downturn in the economy. Basically, he told me to go away. Because it was in my best interest, not his. Well, really, it was in his because I was hooked. I thought, this guy is awesome. So it, it, was, it was a guy named Mark Doust, who's the original founder of Quiet Light Brokerage, now a firm that I'm a partner in. Well, I ended up listing the business six months later with Quiet Light, joined the company after taking a year off. So I joined in early 2012 when it was just Mark and Jason, who was my broker in 2010. And then shortly after that, Amanda joined. Um, And that became my focus and my passion. I'd already built, bought, and sold a half dozen of my own companies, been very successful as as an entrepreneur. And at this point, I wanted to focus on helping others not wake up and decide to sell their business, but actually take the time to prepare to sell their business. And since then, I've had over 8,000 one-on-one conversations with entrepreneurs. I've personally sold about 100 million in transactions, helped facilitate another half billion through Quiet Light. And if we look back from 2012, the average deal size run might have been about 125,000 when it was just me, John, me, um, uh, Jason, and Amanda. Uh, In 2021, the median deal size was 1.8 million. We closed just under 250 million in total transactions last year, and we've got a total of 15 advisors on the team now that are all entrepreneurs turned advisors. That's awesome.
0: So it is a heck of a journey, and now you've got a book out to help others too, so somebody can start with a book. Go through that. Tell us about what's in the book, so you know those those of you out there who are thinking about exiting. You have a software company or an online business. Uh, what's what's the value point inside of the book that'll help them, you know, prepare for a better exit?
1: It's everything you need to know to understand what brings value, what plummets value, how valuations are done, what uh, buyers want. There's the four pillars of value in there that are not it's not math and logic, it's all you know things that will sway your multiple high or low in a multiple range. It, it's, it's all the bits and pieces of water cooler talk corrected into accurate information, all the little different websites and blogs that you need to go to and people that you talk to that exited their businesses. It's all in one place. It's corrected and it's accurate and it takes you through the entire process. And it sort of demystifies the process of, you know, preparing your business to sell for a maximum value to a great buyer at a great price. And, and, and with terms that allow you to sleep at night, hopefully mostly cash, but, and, and, and kind of honestly dispels the myth of um, uh, you, you can, you, you can do this on your own and you don't need to figure out what, you know, an ad back schedule is. Cause if you, don't do a proper ad back schedule. I can pretty much guarantee you're going to lose tens of thousands of dollars in the sale of your pr- sale of your business easily, easily.
0: Yeah, a lot of people don't understand what you're referring to, but an ad back schedule is all the stuff that you use, you know, some people call it in, the, in using the business as a lifestyle business or whatever, but it's all the things that you use that, you know, you use on to to fund your personal like your everything from i've seen car leases i've seen cell phone coverages i've seen somebody had all these netflix netflix accounts and everything else on there the little yeah. things but there's some bigger stuff that's in there too that you know people uh you know fail to add back and you know that really makes a uh, an impact most of us are you're buying on a multiple of seller's discretionary earnings or EBITDA. Mm-hmm. So if, if you don't put those numbers back in there, you don't get that multiple. You're not losing a dollar for a dollar. You're losing as much as you know $3, $3 for every dollar you don't add back in, or maybe more if you've got a strategic purchase with the right guy, right? Yeah, I'd say,
1: I'd say anywhere from two to seven times if you look at yep. the you yep. know, multiple ranges of what we sold last year. And it's, 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 got, it's not EBITDA. It's it, people would say it's it maybe adjusted EBITDA. And the right. true definition of an ad is a one-time expense uh, or an owner benefit. Well, let's reverse right. that. An owner benefit or a one-time expense that does not carry forward to the new owner. Let me give you an example, a couple of dramatically different examples. Number one, if you own an e-commerce business with the majority being an FBA business and you've been reached uh, out to by an aggregator and that aggregator says... In a very charming likable well-funded incredibly passionate way that makes you love them hey man we love your business we pay all cash close in 30 days avoid the broker fee if it sounds too good to be true probably yes um but they you're selling directly to an aggregator if you own an fba business you probably subscribe to jungle scout you probably subscribe to helium Ten. that's 500 bucks a month right there they already subscribe to those So that is an expense that will not carry forward. That's $6,000 a year. If they're paying you a three-time multiple, that's $18,000 in your pocket. I cover 18 additional ad bags in the book. That's not even in the book. I didn't even realize that until I was on a live stream, LinkedIn live stream with one of the founders of one of these top five uh, um, aggregators. It was an awkward conversation because I had to bring that up. He's like, yeah, no, you're right. Another extreme example would be, I was at a uh, eight-figure uh, event for eight-figure sellers in October, sitting around a fire pit with one of the guys who's telling me he has a substantial offer in his business, you know, uh, $50 million. And I said, okay, well, did you, you know, tell me about your P&L preparation and addbacks backs and things of that nature, and he kind of went blank. Even though he's doing, you know, multiple eight, uh, nine, eight figures, he didn't know what an ad back was, okay? So you don't have to be huge to be perfect and understand all of this, or just because you're small doesn't mean that you should know this. Um, he does $50,000 a month in cash back money. Cash back money, you know, everybody knows what it is. And in his case, and in probably 90% of the P&Ls I look at, that money just slides over to people's personal account. It never hits the p and uh, it's a discount on advertising. It should hit your PL. It's the The end results are the same. But um, he does credit card stacking so we could get that much. That's $600,000 a year in cash back that was not on the p His multiple that he was offered for his business was 10 times. That's $6 million added to the list price of his business. He bought the beer. Uh, for me that night. And we'll buy many, many more over the lifetime, (laughs) but it's It's a lot of beer. Add us to track zeros. It doesn't matter. There's so many nuances to it that you've really got to dig into it. And we won't go too far into the weeds, but understanding those things um, in a a simple, logical way, as if we're sitting around, you know, across the table from from each other at a a bar, uh, at a pub. That, that's what's in the book and trying to get it away in a sim, across in a simple manner that people understand and can refer back to whenever they want to.
0: What you brought up is kind of interesting in the fact that I hadn't seen that level of ad backs because I don't do, right now I'm, I'm not into buying the software side of things and I don't see a lot of the, uh, like the online side of things. A lot of the stuff I'm looking at is brick and mortar. But uh, it, the, the point that it brings up to me is every industry has some of its own nuances and to find, a, you know, a broker or an advisor that understands that industry and what's there and what's normal and what should be added back and all the different things and the ins and outs of that industry could could net you quite a bit of difference in your end, you know, um, your end deal. Yeah, I'm sitting here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I would imagine, you know, I've got two friends here that are brokers. I would imagine if we put the deal, in, you know, the same deal that you just talked about in front of both of them we'd have three different numbers, right. as to what would be the end game.
1: Yeah. It, it, <clears throat> it has to be addressed with math and logic. First and foremost, you can't do any gray stuff in there because that erodes trust, right? And when you erode trust, the deal that you're going to get, the offer you're going to get is going to get diminished and reduced. You may get the same value, but it's going to be with an earnout or something like that because they don't trust you anymore. Um, but there's, there's, there's so many different adbacks that, I mean, even a a website redesign is at the very least a partial ad back if you don't do it every year. if You do it every five years, I'd say it's 100% ad back. If you do it every year, it's not an ad back. Math and logic, simple as that. But you got to know what to look for and you got to take the time to do it before you start negotiating with your buyer. Or it's really important as an acquisition entrepreneur to understand these so that when you look at a P&L and somebody wants a four-time multiple of their net income, and they haven't done any ad backs. And you go, okay, their salary is 100000 They didn't add that back. You know, this, that, the other thing. Oh my God, really? This is a two and a half time multiple. Yes, sir. I'll pay full price for your business. Because you're getting, you know, what I call uh, an ignor- ignorant dis- ignorance discount when you're buying the business because they didn't do an ad back schedule.
0: Right. So one of the things I, uh, I'm i always curious about, If you have been doing this for quite a while, right? So what's one thing you know now that you wish you'd have known at the beginning of your career? Like when, what's one key takeaway, maybe it's in your book or whatever, but uh, like, what's a key takeaway that you wish you to known when you were selling your companies?
1: The reality is that historically as entrepreneurs, we've been told we should always have the end in mind. When we start our business, we should, we should be planning our exit. And I find that for the first time, entrepreneur slash exitpreneur, if that's the path they're going to go down, it's complete and bull. Because all you, all you got to do is try to keep the wheels on the bus, man. Right? You're just trying to make sure there's enough cash flow to stay alive. Um, but at some point, six, twelve months, you know, in along that road, you got. You, that's when you've got to reach out, read the book, reach out to an advisor that, that will give you a, a true and honest valuation, with no hooks. That's what the MA and advisors do in the online world. Um, do that. Don't wake up and decide to sell your business like I did. Even though I waited six months, if I had known um, that I was building a business that I could exit, um, hell, man, I, I, I would have sold the first one for a hell of a lot of money. And the last one that I sold, uh, that e commerce business that I sold uh, through Quiet Light back in the day, I, I would have sold it a lot, a lot earlier, or I would have pushed and pulled certain levers that would have increased the buyer's confidence. Those are the intangible things um, that uh, can, can make an enormous difference when it comes to the deal value and deal structure that you get.
0: So I'm on the buyer's side. In your mind, I kind of have my idea what what increases buyer's confidence but from your perspective, you've seen way more deals than I have, right? I've been in this for yeah. two years now, and uh, so from what your perspective, what are the key elements to um, induce confidence, you know, in a buyer? You know that.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's there's really four things that buyers have consistently looked at. There's sort of four four categories, and keep asking questions over the last you know 15 years that we've been doing this, and it evolves around risk growth, transferability, and documentation. Let's jump to the last one. If you don't have financials, you can't get out of the starting gate with evaluation. So just knock it off, grow up, hire an e-commerce bookkeeper, outsource it. It's less than a car lease. They'll do the p they'll do everything for you. And then once a month you can analyze it and improve the key metrics of your business, the financial key metrics. So documentation is pretty critical. Let's go to number three, transferability. It should go without saying that if the assets that drive the revenue of the business are not transferable, you do not have a sellable business. There's some challenges in some cases. If you are the name and face of the business, it's still transferable, but it's not as clean. You have to stick around for a while. You'll get out of the daily grind of ordering inventory and doing this and managing people, but you'll still have to be the name and face because that's who the customer knows. So that transferability gets a little trickier. Um, growth, number two, uh, really important that you're selling the business when it's growing, because if it's been growing and then it flattens and then declines just for a couple of months compared to the same time last year, buyer's going to go, "Whoa, I'm going to project this out 12 months and your four time multiple is going to really be, you know, a six time multiple because the trends are down. When you get into growth, buyers love built in paths to growth right? So you're buying a business from me, Ron. I have 16 SKUs, but I launched seven of them in the last 12 months. And, you know, they're not fully 12 months old. Some are one, some are three, some are six, and they're already generating 30% of the total revenue. That's awesome. You love that because it's a built-in path to growth. Those are just going to grow and mature. And all you have to do is let that happen. Clear. Uh, Growth opportunities, really critical to buyers as well. If I have 16 SKUs, is that the most I can possibly have with my brand if I tapped it out? Or are there SKU expansions? Are there platform expansions? Are there country expansions? Things of that nature. Got to have that. If we go on to risk, really risk is huge, right? Um, It may be in the form of the age of the business. The younger the business it is, the higher the risk. The higher the risk, the lower the multiple. A lot of buyers will come in first time and say, you know, I don't want to risk a whole lot of money, so I'm just going to buy something small. Well, the smaller businesses are actually a little less established. They don't have a wide balance of SKUs. They don't have a wide customer base. They don't have recurring revenue or repeat revenue. And they are actually riskier. Buying a $3 million business that's well-established, been around for five years, is much less risky or less risk than buying a two-year-old business that's doing four hundred thousand dollars in revenue. Okay, very important. Fear of obsolescence, huge, huge. If you're selling a electronic device that um, you know needs to be updated or remodeled every year, I, I, I sold a um, a uh, electronics charging station a few years ago. Company seventy percent of their revenue f- was from this this charging station where everything had to be plugged in. Fear of obsolescence, all the buyers thought, everything's going wireless, we're not going to have cords and plugs anymore. Total fear of obsolescence. Couple that with the fact that 70% of the revenue came from a single skew. That's a hero skew. These were all risk factors that will plummet the multiple range and cause a buyer to say, yeah, I'll give you X amount of cash, but the rest I need on an earnout."
0: So one of the things I'm concerned with, the online stuff, and I have a background in websites and online stuff, but what I'm looking for right now, what I've referred to as the boring businesses, pest control, home construction, that type of stuff. But um, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but one of the biggest concerns I'd have for like a Facebook, I mean a Facebook, a, a, a Amazon store or something like that, is they're one decision away from being cut off. Like, you know, Amazon could make one decision and, you know, critically hurt, you know, quite a few of those. They did it a while back on their affiliate program. You know, I know some people that were making some really good money doing review sites like audio review, and they're doing really good. And then Amazon one day said, you know what, we're not going to give you, I forgot what it was, 8% or something crazy, 10%. Okay. We're going to do one or two and just dropped it. Like it, 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 it pretty much killed their businesses. So my concern in that space would If I were to look at something that had a few SKUs, maybe a dozen SKUs or something, I want to see that they really dominate Amazon because that's the big gorilla in the jungle, right? But I'd also want to see that they understood well and could run well on, say, Spotify, or I don't know if eBay is even a player anymore. I'm kind of dating myself or, you know, one of the other channels. But they have other channels. If something changed, they wouldn't die they could actually shift and, and, and still you know, push more market into one of the other channels and still sell stuff. Is that an irrational concern, or what would you say on that?
1: You know, years ago, um, there was a huge fear and concern about a FBA business, and let's just call that one, you know, an e-commerce business that's doing 75 percent of its revenue on Amazon. Okay. It may have its own Shopify store and you know other channels, but 75% coming from Amazon, that is essentially an FBA business. Huge fear there. People thought, the sky is falling. Jeff Bezos is going to just take it all over. He's going to own all the brands and just sell all his, all his own stuff. Uh, I always thought that was kind of silly, right? Um, and now we have people that are smarter, probably, than you and I, incredibly well-funded, risk averse that have raised billions of dollars to do exactly what two, you know, four, five years ago people were afraid of. All they're doing is buying Amazon-based businesses, and they're putting them into a portfolio, and the value becomes huge. So I think that there are risk in some categories, right? So these aggregators, for the most part, they won't buy electronic devices with big fear of obsolescence. They probably won't buy clothing businesses because the vast amount of inventory that you have to have, um, shoes and things of that nature, they don't, they stay away from certain categories. They're not buying affiliate businesses because they see that just like that, you can go from 10% to 4% at a business under LOI. When that happened, actually it was, I was just listing it when it happened and we had to go back into the ad back schedule and make an adjustment for that change going all the way back. It's just the reality of it. The business was worth less. So there's a legitimate fear at a certain level there, but then you've got to go rationally and go, okay, look, these guys have raised billions of dollars. Uh, Amazon is a publicly traded company. They're not just going to come in and change everything because it's going to hurt the stock price and the stock price is is most important.
0: So I get that the reason the risk is lower is it's a matured market now, right? Uh, Those Amazon retailers make a significant portion of Amazon's money yeah um you know it's I, I think that's you know i can see that um you know i i don't know but maybe it's just an irrational fear of you know the unknown what do they call that the fud fear of the uh, uh fear of
1: what is Are you talking about fomo fear of missing uh,
0: out that's fear of missing out there's another one it's like fud or something like that uh uh fear uncertainty and doubt right you know the. The fear, uncertainty, and doubt about Amazon being able to pull the rug out of underneath something you just acquired uh, has me hesitant on it. But I get it. If you know that space and you're proficient in it, that goes away just like anything else. You can remove fear, uncertainty, and doubt with the proper amount of training and experience.
1: Yeah, and, and on Amazon, obviously, review count is critically important. You want to get into that Amazon account and see what sort of warnings it's gotten over the years. Um, you know, If it's defensible, does it have a trademark? Does it have a utility patent, design patent, things of that nature? Um, is Amazon selling You know, uh, in the same category? Um, Chinese seller knockoffs, right? This is the next uh, big sweep. Amazon's already starting to do it and shutting that down. You know, originally it was review manipulation that still happens, but it's much harder. And, uh, eventually they're going to fix this, you know, you know, cheap knockoff bogus review stuff. And it's going to get a safer and safer marketplace to build a brand, I think over the years.
0: So, uh, to, <clears throat> to share one of my own faults, <laughs> one of the old things, one of the things I failed at, um, I actually used to flip websites just like, you know, I've I've got a real estate background. We flipped houses, we buy and sell houses, but I would flip, I'd find websites uh, back then, you know, the micro acquire and I forgot the other one off the top of my head, um, Flippa. They didn't exist, right? But um, we had these uh, warrior forums and stuff where... Guys like me who were building sites and e-commerce tools out and stuff like that, would go on there. We'd help each other. We'd do some development for each other's projects and stuff. And occasionally, somebody go, "Hey, I'd really like to sell this," and there was a marketplace inside of that. So I would buy e-commerce sites back when you could put a dollar into, you know, Google AdSense and get ten dollars out. You know, it was just like. Pre-printing money, go, buy these. Yeah, yeah. That now it's competitive. I, yeah. I hate competitive, but uh, no, I would buy these things and you know just clean them up, do a better website, have my team redo them, get the numbers up, and sell them because they were kind of just like everything else that sold out of multiple. My problem I ran into back then was um, the the guys out there selling the websites got really good at faking their profiles, meaning that. Like their PayPal accounts, their all this stuff that was, um, you know, that uh, you would look at to evaluate the price. A lot of it was faked. and you know, I bought one. I won't even say it, it was it was five figures. It wasn't even in the six figure realm. Uh, expected to turn it around, and within days of buying it, ran figured out that all their traffic was bought. Right that they didn't disclose and uh they were it was, was lossly. they were paying so much for traffic that it just wasn't making money right um, yeah there
1: there are ways to defend against that now back yeah. well, back then, there wasn't. And you know there's a a number of different due diligence firms specializing in the online space. The one that comes to mind is Centurica, c e n t u r i c a dot com um, they are a company that will verify all of the financials. They'll do live screen shares. They'll require access to, um, you know, third party information. Um, and look, we all make mistakes. That's the life of an entrepreneur. I, I, you know, I said, I took 2011 off, which I did, but what I was doing in that time was trying to find a business to buy. And I bought one and I think I closed, uh, March 1st, 2020. Twelve, and I had forty-two glorious days. Forty-two glorious days, and then the Penguin update hit, and the six, you know, rankings, six listings on page one went to page two, three, and four, and I lost, you know, over two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Talk about a, a, a punch in the stomach, right? Yeah. That's part of the life of an entrepreneur. We get excited about carry forward loss, losses on our tax returns. There's, there's companies that can help you with that. And if you're buying a $50,000 business or $500 or $5 million business, do the smart thing. I guarantee you that $5 million buyer is going to have a company do due, due diligence for them. If, if somebody's using an SBA loan to buy a business, there's multiple levels of due diligence. They hire a third-party valuation company. They do their own due diligence. You should, you should be doing your due diligence. It's your money. You worked hard for it. Protect it. Um, but we do make stupid mistakes because we're entrepreneurs and we think we can do anything.
0: So you mentioned a couple of resources out there. What are the best resources uh, you can think of that have helped you along the way that are still out there that people should look at in this space?
1: You know, honestly, uh, I'm not a very tech oriented person. You, you are more so than me. And I think the resource that you can um, best utilize is understanding who you are as a person And uh, make sure you don't promote yourself to your own level of incompetence, right? And really, really don't get shiny object syndrome like we all do. Don't say, I can do that when really you should be doing something else. So we were talking about Cody Sanchez before we hit record. Cody owns 26 businesses. She's all about acquisition, entrepreneurship, and those unsexy businesses, right? Vending machines, car washes, things of that nature. Um, I own one business now. Well, technically too, because the book is a separate LLC, but my focus is quiet light and building that brand and reputation and helping people understand the value of their businesses. And it's because I understand my own level of incompetence. I'm not tech savvy. We have a CTO. I cannot do run seven different companies at once. I'm not really good at delegating, I'm getting better at it with age, but the best resource you can do is figure out who you are and what you're good at, what you like to do what you are okay this is part of life I'll do it and then what you loathe and if 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 your business is all about what you loathe then put somebody else in place to do it or get rid of it altogether so I think the first place to look is internal not external
0: it is really important people get that message it comes up in almost every podcast that we talk uh, almost everybody I interview talks about Knowing who you are, what your skill set is, and who you need, and I always—I should probably get an—I should probably get an affiliate program from Dan Sullivan. I always promote his book. Dan Sullivan has a book out called "Who Not How," and uh, maybe in a minute when you're when you're in deep conversation, I might reach up and 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 grab it off my bookshelf. I don't see it right away, but uh, it's really the beauty of that book is a lot of times if you're trying to figure out how to do something and I got my air quotes off the screen, if yeah. you're trying to figure out how to do something, you're very likely not the right who to be doing it in the first place.
1: Yeah. Right? We, we, we've uh, the executives on the, I guess the executive team at quiet right now has all read it because we're part of a um, internal growth program. Like a, a, hold on. I'm going to grab a book, right? Yeah, so, you know, Gina, Gina Wickman's on the cover and Gina's the founder of uh, EOS. So we're in an EOS type program and we've all read who, not how. And for us, what it's done is, you know, we needed someone to uh, be the point person for all these aggregators that are hitting us up with, you know, requests and information and telling us their full story. And, you know, in 2021, only 30% of our transactions were with aggregators, but they make a lot of noise. So we need to put somebody in charge of that. Um, there's a woman uh, that came on board uh, at Quiet Light, Deanna Barati. She is that who, not how. She figured it all out. She was just a person that needed to be on our team because she could do so many different things and tackled so many different things. And lo and behold, because we picked a who, she's now on to the next big project already and doing something that we've needed to change for five years, our lead distribution program, and Deanna's tackled that because she's the right who, she's that right person on the bus instead of, you know, me trying to figure it out and painfully piecing it together with VAs and things of that nature. So I'm on board with that 100%. Yeah,
0: it's funny is I've built websites and stuff and I I know I'm not the who for it, but occasionally it's like, I'll just jump in there and do it myself. And then I realize I can spend 8, 10, 12 hours, maybe 30, 40, 50 hours, depending on the complexity of setting up a WordPress and all the plugins and getting it right. And it still won't be as good as, you know, somebody I could pay, let's just say sub two grand, even like, you know, 1500, 1800 bucks, it would dominate anything I could come up with. And I just wasted a week of my time. Right. And on a given day, if I don't make more than that in a week, I've really messed up. So, um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of that. So it's funny that it comes up in every single interview. Uh, but it's, it's critical to know who you have on your team, who you need on your team and constantly, um, be on the lookout for people going, Hey, we'll figure out how, Mm-hmm. Right. Because often when you say, Hey, we need to figure out how to do this. It's like we, they, the phrase should be, Hey, we need to figure out who can do this better than us. Mm-hmm. Right. I agree. You know, So I appreciate everything uh, we've talked about so far. I'm really you know, kind of, you know, I really like the concept of the extra entrepreneur. Uh, I must still butcher in the, <laughs> the, the name there. Uh, <laughs> I'll get it by the end of the podcast. I'm sure I will. Um, you mentioned a, a few other books, you know, when we started there, Um, going back to the, you know, the resource side, uh, are there any mentors out there or anybody out there that if somebody, um, and maybe even you guys have a program, somebody's got an e-commerce thing and they're like, I'm going to build this thing. And I'm not building this to be a lifestyle business and run it for 20 years. I want to build it, grow it, sell it and go build something else. There are, there are entrepreneurs who love that creation space, that build space. Who, Who could they reach out to that help them? Like get through the process to where it's truly sellable at maximum value. Is that, is that something you guys do or is that? It's
1: exactly what we do at quiet light. And so there's a a couple of steps I would take um, before doing that though. First I would set some goals, right? And not, I want to sell my business for a million dollars. That's a wish. That's not a goal. I would get very specific and something like with, with in the book, I talk about dollars, date and feelings. So I will sell my business for $5 million in the third quarter of 2024. And when I do Ron. I'm going to feel just incredible because I'm going to be out of debt and I'm going to get, spend more time with my family and take that two month RV trip. We've always talked about that emotional part will help you get over what you and I and everybody listening. That's an entrepreneur know happens, which is those bad days, weeks, and months that we have as entrepreneurs. So set that goal, be very specific about it. And then just like, If you put into Google maps that, you know, I'm in, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. If I want to go to Boise, Idaho, I know I can go north on 77 left uh, west on I-40 and eventually get my way there and figure it out. But it's not the most direct route if Google doesn't know where I am now. So you got to reverse engineer a path to where you are in comparison to your goals. That's a valuation firm up your valuation. You get pretty close with the book, but what you're missing are the actual closed transaction data, right? You might be able to do a pretty good job with your ad backs and your schedule and figuring out where your seller's discretionary earnings are. I give valuation ranges in the book, but those change as times change, right? They've gone up a lot in 2021. Um, But reverse engineer a pathway to those goals by getting a firm valuation. And the advisors at Quiet Light are just like Mark was for me, helpful first and foremost. We're not salespeople, they're just entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs. We, I, I have a personal mentor that I talk about on many podcasts, and I, I think I mentioned him in the book. It's Uncle Walter, okay? It's actually my wife's uncle, a very successful entrepreneur that's now fully retired and plays lots of golf down in Florida. And when I was uh, becoming a partner at Quietline, and I talked about the business model with Walker uh, with Walter. Uh, you know, I said, well, you know, we 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 do these valuations and we help and we coach and we guide and we tell them what levers to push and pull to make it more valuable to buyers and we firm up their numbers, and then we just you know wait and see when they're ready they'll come back to us. And he said, well, Joe, it sounds like you are just giving everything all away for free and just hoping that they'll come back to you. I'm like, yes, Walter, that's exactly the process, and it's worked for 15 years. It's what Mark did for me. He helped me, and because of that, I didn't really want to work with anyone else. He built trust in me. Anybody that is overinflating, overpromising, underdelivering on multiples and all this other stuff, just trust your gut and move on to the next one. But get a valuation by a professional, and then you know how close or far, how far you are to those goals. And then touch base with each other on a regular basis, just with an update. Simple as that. No, no so, commitments, no engagement letters, <clears> no nothing.
0: It's interesting, is uh, I've had probably a half dozen um, brokers uh, on my podcast, and uh, after the first one, who happens to be a friend of mine, but he was really new into it, I real and I, I I've actually talked to probably thirty on top of the half dozen dozen I've had in <laughs> on the podcast who wanted to be, but. I'm, I'm a little biased. I did my research on you. I actually looked at your, your, your model online, what you said on your website and stuff, and it appealed to me that reverse engineer and the fact that you are willing to work with people and help them maximize that is critical. There are so many brokers out there who, um, and I'm not trying to butcher uh, brokers by any means, but the point I'm wanting to make is they're not all equal. Uh, there, there's bad actors in every space, and there's a lot of brokers out there that are making the majority of their money not off of helping you sell your business and maximizing what you get, but by charging you a listing fee and, and getting you know a listing contract, uh, getting fees up front. And uh, the, the scary thing is, here in the United States, the industry statistics is something like eighty to eighty-five percent of all businesses ever listed by a broker never sell.
1: Yeah, and, and, f- and funny enough, ninety-eight percent of all the listings that we list sell. In fact, last year, we had 3.77 offers on every single listing, 62% sold at or over asking price. We don't look as our, at ourselves as brokers. In fact, we call ourselves advisors now in all facets of writing and communication. But more than anything else, Ron, we're entrepreneurs. We've been there, we've done that, and now we're helping. And so we are entrepreneurs and educators who happen to be M&A advisors as well. But that entrepreneur education comes first, right? And then when you're ready, and I also say eventual exit, right? Because I really want people to touch base a year in advance of when they want to have that exit, at least a year. Uh, And so when you're eventually ready to exit, hopefully we've built a relationship where you understand the value that we bring and you'll want to work with us. If you don't, that's okay.
0: I get that. And, you know going back to what I was saying before, there's there's good and bad in everything. Uh, a lot of it is on the fact that in most states, I'd say most, I think there's less than a dozen states that actually require a broker's license to be a broker and another dozen or so that you could you have to have like a real estate license to be a business broker because a lot of businesses are tied to real estate. But in both cases where like here in Oklahoma, I have a buddy who who bought a brokerage. Uh, and you know, he said, Hey, if you want to be a business broker, just let me know and I'll throw your name on a card. I was like, okay, I'm really good at taking tests. I'm like, okay, what kind of test do I need to take? Oh, you don't need any test here. And I was like, how is that true? Right. You're talking about people's livelihoods. Uh, I was talking to one company last year that they've been running their business for 63 years. Can you imagine like taking a company that's been running for 63 years and I'm not going to say his name or his brokerage, but going to a guy who just bought his brokerage to list your brokerage and has no experience in it whatsoever. Has some training from his franchise.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, titles are good, you know, but they're just titles, right? So I'm a man without a title at quiet light. Mark wants to have me be called president. He's the CEO. He's the original founder. I don't have a title. I kind of like it. Um, I have, I have a label on my card. I'm a cert- in, in my signature line. I'm a certified mergers and acquisition specialist, right? I've gone through the course, but honestly, Ron, um, it was relatively useless to what I do because I've already, you know, by the time I took the course, I'd, I'd sold the $80 million in transactions. So I learned, uh, you know, along the way and we have a system and process with that said, you, you don't, Uh, I shouldn't have an advisor selling your business that has never sold anything before unless they've got a ton of support uh, behind them. Like every transaction at Quietlight is not, you know, it's, it's led by one person, but everybody, including myself and Mark are in support in the background. So, you know, you're getting the collect, collective experience of 15 advisors that have sold a half a billion dollars in transactions. There is licensing nationwide, by the way, for brokers, but it's for stock brokers. It's FINRA compliant. These are, 99% of them are asset sales, not stock sales. And when it comes to online businesses, most of it's goodwill, at least 80%, 90%. In some cases, 99% is goodwill because... Everything is online. It's all virtual. There's no physical assets to the business. The laptop, the computer, the cell phone—that doesn't transfer with a sale. So, it's a, it's a it's a it's a tricky business, and um, you just have to find a, a firm that has been at it long enough that you can connect with. You know what the you know what the most important thing is, and this is where people make a huge mistake and don't do the work, right? Both buyers and sellers um, look at the full packages that the firms put together. Now, I am on lots of calls with, you know, people that are buying and selling. And I say, well, ha- have you looked at our listings? Oh yeah, no, I, I look at them on a regular basis. Okay, I don't see you in the full pro, I don't see that you signed a non-disclosure agreement. "Like," And they're like, you know, I, I look at them online all the time. Well, the online listing is just the teaser. You're not supposed to really figure out what the name of that business is. Uh, what you absolutely should do if you're risking thousands of dollars of your hard-earned money buying or selling is click on a listing from any brokerage firm, M&A firm, fill out the non-disclosure agreement, sign it, and get that full package. And then you can get all the other full packages as well and digest them. Look at the questions and answers that are being asked. If you're not ready to talk to an advisor, you're going to see all the questions and answers that we ask at Light. Pretty, pretty damn thorough. Um, it's all there. It's an educational resource that you could use. Maybe you just take the time to do it. But based upon 10 years of conversations, most people don't do that, but it's a really smart thing to do if you really are serious about buying or selling your business.
0: I I don't know if you approve of this, but I'd actually recommend that if you're going to sell your business, I would tell you to go to your broker, look at similar businesses on on the brokerage, not compet- com- competitors, because if they see that, it'll be a problem. But just businesses in your genre, in your space, online businesses, or you know maybe in a different market or something. But before you use your brokerage, I would venture to say, sign the NDA and look at what they put together for these other guys. I don't know how many times I've filled out something online to see, um, to see the full package and been really disappointed about what was sent to me as a full package, right? Yeah, like, you're uh, saying
1: it in such a nice, <clears throat> succinct way. That's exactly what I was saying. Yeah. Um, and, and the one thing that I'd add to that is that um, don't let the uh, advisor send you package links because they're going to cherry pick them. You go in and you click on any of them that you want to look at. Uh, well, it, the ones that are listed by that advisor would make the most sense. Right. Um, but um, don't let them pick them for you. You go in and pick them without them choosing. That way you see the work, all the work that they do.
0: It's interesting. As, uh, I had one um, particular first package information I got for the guy was really great. I was like, man, this broker is on top of his game. And then got into the, you know, discussions, found out that I had to do, you know, I had to move so fast on that one. It just wasn't going to happen because they had somebody about to submit an LOI, right? And um, they, were, they were pretty far down the path. And I was just not even, in, you know, not even sure I was not in, totally interested in that industry, but it was a curiosity. So I was like, man, what else do you got? So I'm thinking, I'm going to work with this broker, man. This stuff was thorough. It didn't look so, you know, a lot of times these guys add so much stuff in. You're like, okay, there's a lot of BS inside of this stuff. This guy, it looked legit. The next two things he sent me were absolute garbage. And then I found out after talking to them, I made friends with that business owner. And uh, he did sell to that other guy. But I still, you know, chatted with him afterwards. And, you know, what did you like? What did you not like? And stuff. Might even have him on the show. So that's why I'm not going to say the brokerage name or anything. But uh, sometimes I have businesses that exit on here. And my question to him is like, well, he did such a great job on your package. You know, I, I don't understand why I didn't get anything cool from him and everybody else. He goes, Oh no, he didn't do ours. He gave us a list of what we needed. And I was so lost. I hired a third party marketing company that builds exit packages and they did all the slide decks and everything and work with me. They had an accounting team that did all the, you know, the P and L's and make sure they're right. They audited my books. They did everything that, you know, you've seen, they went through. And he paid yeah. 22 grand to have somebody else build that package to make his business marketable and then paid the broker to put it on biz by sale to sell it. And yeah. I just, I it broke my heart because I was like, you don't ever have to do that again. <laughs> yeah. You know, you yeah. know, and so. the
1: problem, the problem with that for buyers of, you know, of that brokerage firm is that when they look at uh, a new listing every day or every week or whatever it is, they all look different. Right. So we've taken the approach of trying to break down barriers and make it easier for people to make decisions. So, um, w- you know, every PNL you'll ever look at is formatted differently, looks totally different. And so we import that PNL into our format in our system, so that if you're a buyer and you look at Quiet Light listings every day, and we have launches three to five times a week now, um, all those PNLs are going to be pretty much formatted the same. You'll know. I need to look at the key metrics tab to see how revenue is, or discretionary earnings is as a percentage of revenue year over year. You you can look at all the same stuff. The numbers are different. The guts of it are different, but it's formatted the same. Same with the packages. They're all packaged the same. We also we also do, and I think as I'm saying this, I'm not. not, I don't mean to be selling, you know, because this is not rocket science. It's just hard work. One of the things that we implemented years ago, Ron, was. An interview recorded via Zoom, video and audio of the seller of the business. So if you're, you know, selling your business would be just like this. I'd be asking you questions, getting to know you, so that the buyers can see you, see the whites of your eyes, see if they, you know, get a good vibe from you, if they trust you. If you showed up with a, you know, a Biden hat on or a Trump hat on, and you hate that person and that, you know, and like okay, ruled out. I'm not going to buy that business. It's not hard work. It's just I mean, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's just a little hard work. You got to put the effort in so that you make it as easy as possible, as possible for the buyers to make decisions. And and that shortens the listing timeframe as well. Right. Um, I think the average time last year from the, the moment it's listed to the money changing hands was 89 days or something like that. And that includes, you know, multiple eight figure listings that take you know longer as well, but it's not hard. It's, 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 it's not rocket science. It's just hard work. So right
0: now there's a, a huge hotspot inside of the online business, the SaaS. Do you guys do a lot of the, the SaaS uh, type of businesses or just the stores and stuff?
1: No, nope, we absolutely do the SaaS. We do, the majority of our transactions are still e-commerce, meaning more than 50%, right? Um, it's probably more like 60%. And of that 60, probably more than 50 of that is FBA oriented. But the other 40% is a good mix of content and the SaaS. And those portions are growing for sure. We're, we're sponsoring MicroConf now and a couple of other sizable SaaS conferences. You know, we've got some folks that are just brilliant in the SaaS space. Uh, David Newell, uh, Chris Guthrie, folks like that, that know it incredibly well. John Hainstock, who sold the SaaS business, just joined our team as well.
0: Awesome. Well, I want to make sure everybody knows how to get a, get a hold of you. So I'm going to post up your LinkedIn at first. So here's the, here's the LinkedIn. Uh, verify that with me and make sure I don't have to edit that. That looks right. Awesome. I should have done this before the podcast. (laughs) All right. So uh, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, you can find him on LinkedIn. Uh, His LinkedIn is the standard LinkedIn uh, URL, which is linkedin.com slash in slash the Joe Valley. And I, I don't, I found him pretty easily just by Joe Valley. I thought that was a common enough name. It might be hard to find, but it was pretty easy to search for him on there and the name of his company. And I'm going to show his URL next is, quiet light brokerage. So, uh, when you're looking for Joe Valley on LinkedIn, you can either go to quietlightbrokerage.com. That's also on the screen for those of you, I'll put both of those in the show notes in the description of the show so that you can yeah. reach out to Joe here. Uh, it's Joe actually, is- it's
1: actually quietlight.com now, but it will still redirect to quiet light if you type in brokerage.
0: Okay. So, uh, for those, uh, let's see here. Uh, it should be this, right? So it's just quite, you got the brokerage offer. There's what you did, right? Yeah. So just. Uh,
1: I spelled it wrong, so many wrongs when I was typing it in over the years. We had to change it.
0: All right. So let's see that. The shorter, the better. Is that right? That's it. Okay. So this is the correct one. If you're watching, if not, uh, just uh, <laughs> go to quietlight.com. Q-U-I-E-T-L-I-G-H-T.com. And uh, those will be in the show notes. Uh, do you have any parting uh, like uh, tips or wisdom you'd like to share with everybody before we wrap up the show? Or
1: Yeah, I want I to have you pop up one more URL there. It's not live. Okay. It will be in 10 minutes. And it's exitpreneur.io forward slash how to exit. The number two, how to exit. If you uh, go to that URL, uh, exitpreneur.io forward slash how to exit, uh, you can get a free digital copy of the Exitpreneur's Playbook. It is the real thing, 300 pages. Uh, you can also buy it on Amazon, but uh, the digital copy you can uh, download and read on your Kindle, Nook, um, you know, um, iBook, that kind of stuff if, uh, if you prefer the digital. And I'm going to do it for your audience only.
0: Cool. So um, we'll put that in the show notes and make sure it's in the description. Uh, one more time, because uh, I didn't type it fast enough and uh, <laughs> we're running out of time. So one more time, what was it?
1: Exitpreneur.io, okay. Forward slash how to exit and the number okay. two in there.
0: All right, I will definitely make sure that that's in the uh, the show notes, the description. So if you're on Spotify or Apple, you'll be able to go to the show notes and that, or you can go to howtoexit.com, how the number two exit.com, and uh, when the podcast is live. Uh, all the transcription, and everything will be on there, so they'll be able to see the video and see the transcription and all the show notes and links. So, because uh, I absolutely want people to work with uh, the, you know, those out there in the marketplace that will truly get them the best value. You uh, know, you know, as the buyer, I want a discount, but I'd rather buy at a at, buy it right. You know, from a brokerage that really did the numbers right and maximize what that uh, the the seller is getting, than buy something at a risk at a discount and find out I bought a mess. Yeah. So, uh, I'm a, I'm a proponent of, uh, let's do this job, right. Make sure, you know, make sure it's a win-win for both parties. And, uh, the only way to do that is to truly figure out who's on your team and who has the experience to get it done. Right. So I appreciate your time. Hang out for a few seconds after the, the show. Um, and, uh, again, I appreciate you for being on it.
1: Thanks for having me on. Appreciate, appreciate it. One more URL there. It's not live. Okay. It will be in 10 minutes and it's exitpreneur.io forward slash how to exit and the number two, how to exit. If you go to that URL, exitpreneur.io forward slash how to exit, you can get a free digital copy of the Exitpreneur's Playbook. It is the real thing, 300 pages. Uh, You can also buy it on Amazon, but uh, the digital copy you can uh, download and read on your Kindle.